Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, happy Father's Day to you again. And uh, today's sermon, uh, well, it has a very pointed Father's Day application. Okay, we're going to look to the Word and the, continue the series that we're in, this idea that we are saints, already saints, and so we're learning to live like that, learning to think like that, learning to glorify God like that. So we're works in progress, but yet deep inside God has already finished that work and guaranteed the end result, which is such good news, isn't it? And so we saw that the first week. Last week, uh, Pastor Dave talked to you about the wisdom of God and the power of God and how Man's wisdom and man's power is just tiny compared to God's. And so why in the world would we choose our wisdom over his, right? Why would we choose our strength over his? There's no logical reason to do that. And then that brings us to today, uh, in which we're going to jump in the word in just a minute. Uh, But as it is Father's Day, I thought I'd start off with just a couple of, of quotes that I found about fathers. Uh, and so go ahead if you would go to that Mark Twain quote there. He said, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant I could hardly stand to have the old man around. But when I got to be 21, I was astonished how much the old man had learned in seven years. <laughs> right? I think we've all kind of experienced that. And then a guy named Charles Wadsworth says this. He says, by the time a man realizes that maybe his father was right, he usually has a son who thinks he's wrong. Right? It's kind of like reaping what we sow, isn't it? Okay. Well, let's take our Bibles and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I don't know what the page number is on that, if you need the page number. We are... That was my stomach. No. Are we back up there? There we go. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Does anybody know what page number that is? 1311. Page 1311 in the, the uh, uh, Bibles that are there in the chairs. And again, if, we don't, if you don't have your own, we encourage you to follow along. I think it would be very helpful to you. So, uh, chapter 2, starting at verse 1. He says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, we come to you and, and thank you for your word and uh, that it is perfect, always true. Help us to understand it today. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you'd enlighten our understanding, that we might see uh, Jesus in it, see ourselves in it, understand what it ought to mean in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I've mentioned to you uh, two weeks ago that when Paul wrote this letter, one of the reasons that he was writing it 
was in response to accusations that he wasn't really an apostle because he hadn't been with Jesus, right? I mean, he hadn't been one of the 12 that walked with Jesus, although the reality is that Jesus appeared to him later and Jesus actually taught him a lot of stuff that he shares in, the God, or in his writings here with us. But anyway, there were people who had their own agenda and, and who maybe were jealous of Paul. And so they would challenge him and they would accuse him and all this. So throughout this letter, Paul's dealing with issues that Corinth has, but he, he responds to them in a way sometimes to remind them that this isn't about him. This is not about me, Paul. Okay? or what my skills are. And so he starts off here. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Is there anything wrong with excellence of speech? It's not a trick question. You think there's anything wrong with excellence of speech? No, I like excellence of speech. Is there anything wrong with wisdom? Using wisdom, no. But what Paul's wanting to say here is that what I have come to you and preached to you about and taught you about is not about my wisdom. And it's not about how well I can say it. Okay, that is not the point. That is not what it is built upon. Okay, and, and, and as last week we saw, whose strength is stronger, God's or ours? God's. Whose Wisdom is greater, ours are God's, God's, right? And so that's his point he's making. It's what he's following up on. Not about my excellence of speech, not about my skills, not about my wisdom, but about God and what he has done and what he has to say to us. Verse two, he says, so here's what I did. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so he says that the focal point... So when I'm done, when my ministry with you is done and you think about my ministry, what, you know what I want you to think about? What I want to come to mind is Jesus. He says, when I have taught you a lesson and when all is done, what I've, I'm not looking for you to say is, wow, what a great teacher Paul is. Okay? We've got that hum going on here again today, yeah? It's the power of God, right? All right. Um, he says, when I'm all said and done, I'm done with that lesson, I don't want you to go, wow, what a great teacher Paul is. What I want you to do is say, wow, what a great Savior Jesus is. And that doesn't mean, you know, they couldn't appreciate Paul's teaching and preaching. It isn't about that. But he's just saying, I want this to be about the Lord Jesus Christ. And why is that? Well, because, you know, a person like in myself in my situation or anybody teaching the word, preaching the word, can stand up and preach and you know, really have worked hard and thought through it and figured out how to say it and present it well and, and everybody be excited and encouraged. But guess what? That doesn't get anybody saved. That doesn't change anybody's heart. What has to happen is God has to work. God has to speak through the person. God has to touch the heart. And so that's why in our preaching, in my preaching, Dave's preaching, we try to go to the Word, and I'll talk a little more about this later, and say, wait, what is God saying? What does God say here? Because you know what you need to hear? You need to hear what God says, not what Walt says. Now, 
hopefully what Walt says, God can speak through to you. Right? That's the desire. But it's the Holy Spirit that must move through what is said and what is heard and in our hearts to respond to him. And so Paul says, hey, it's about Jesus. That's what this is about. And I'm not going to let it be about, if, there's any, if I have any ability in myself, I'm going to make sure that it's about Jesus and not about me. Okay? And let me say to you today that this, Jesus is who you need. Uh, and if you've here, you're here and you've already received Christ as Savior, which is probably most of us here, you know that, don't you? It's Jesus that you need. Uh, but you may be here today and it's maybe kind of new to you, or you may be watching and you, this is new to you. Uh, you need to understand that every one of us, every one of us, from the time we're born, we're born with a sinful nature. We're born with a nature that says, everything should be about me. Okay? Uh, and little babies are cute, aren't they? They are cute. And I make sure they stay cute by when they start smelling, I hand them off to somebody else. But they are cute. However, babies are extremely selfish because it's about them, right? I don't like something. Right? And, and I've said it before, but the illustration I see is this little toddler finally figures out how to stand up in his crib. And he grabs a hold of those bars and shakes them and yells in baby language, where are my servants? Where are my servants? Right? Because that's the nature we're born with. Now, as we get older, we learn some things. We learn how not to act. We learn to figure out how to interact with people. But, but at the core of our being, it's still us. It's about us. And because of that, we don't love God like we ought to. Because of that, we don't love other people like we ought to. And so we sin against God and we sin against people. And, and that proves that we are spiritually dead. We don't have any life in us. We're separated from God because of that sinful nature. Well, Jesus came, and we sang about, about it so beautifully in that last song. Jesus came, lived this perfect, sinless life. He's the Son of God in human form. And as he goes to the cross and dies there, God takes all of the penalty for my sins, which are thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And somehow he placed that penalty on Jesus, his son. Same for you. Same for all of you watching. And Jesus dies there and he pays in full the penalty and says what? It is finished. The debt has been paid. And three days later he rises from the dead. And the offer that he makes to us and the word of God shows to us that if we will be honest with ourselves before God that yes, we have sinned against him. And sinned many times in many ways. And, and that we know our sins have separated us from God. But that we, we believe that Jesus is who the Bible says he is. He's the son of God, the Lord. And we believe that he did what the Bible tells us he did. That he died for our sins and rose again. The Bible says that we at that point can say, okay God, I believe that. God, I am choosing to trust what Jesus did for me. To provide me with forgiveness of sins. 
And, and you know, if, if you come to that place in your life, and all of you who have, you know it's true. At that very moment, when you came to that and you turned away from your own sin, your own ways, and turned to God and say, oh God, I believe, I trust, I receive Jesus, that at that moment, every sin is forgiven. Every, every sin you ever have or ever will commit, Jesus died for, forgiven. Uh, you receive eternal life. This God himself has moved in. And he goes to work on you from the inside out. And your eternity is changed and this life begins to be changed. And so I would say to you that if you're here today and you have not made that once and for all decision to trust the Lord for your salvation, you ought to do that. And you can just do that right now in your heart and mind with God. He knows what you're thinking. But anyway, so this is what Paul says. That... um, you need to understand this. And that's why my ministry, that's what it's about. And by the way, that's what our ministry is about. Let me reaffirm it to you here. That, you know, there's lots of things we talk about. We talk about being a father today. We talk about marriage. We talk about money. We talk about your morality. We talk about your work. We talk about all sorts of things. But ultimately, it always comes back to it's about Jesus, right? It's about what he's done for us, what he's doing in our lives, what he wants to do. And our yielding to him, our surrender to him in that. So Paul says that's what my ministry is about. And that's what the gospel's about. And then he says, I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. So what are you saying, Paul? What's the big deal here? Well, Paul had, when he went around and preached the gospel, you know, he got beat up. Literally. He got uh, by the powers that be, officially beaten, with canes, with rods. He, he experienced um, the threat of being killed. He, he was literally stoned. They threw rocks at him until he was dead. And I, th- I believe he was died and the Lord raised him. Uh, he had had some tough experiences. And he's in Corinth and, and he can see this coming. And I think he's, Paul was human like you and me. He really was. Try to remember that when you read him because he seems like a pretty perfect guy, doesn't he? He's human like us and he says, you know, I was weak. I was afraid. I was trembling. And what he's trying to show them again is that it wasn't about me showing up. Ta-da! No, this is about Jesus and here's where I was at. And we, we know that he was afraid, I think because of in the, uh, the, uh, Acts chapter 18, it tells us this. It says, now the Lord, do I put it up there? Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. Do not be afraid. Why did he tell him not to be afraid? Because from every human point of view, he had good reason to be afraid. Because God says, don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Speak. That would be a whole sermon in itself for us, wouldn't it? I'm not going to go there, but let me encourage you. Don't be afraid. Don't be silent. Speak. Speak for the Lord. So Paul says that. Look, this is the way I really was. And then he says this in verse 4. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. 
and this is not some like, how can I say this? It's, it's not like me making him doing a miracle here and all of a sudden turning a $10 bill into a $100 bill. Ah, power. I bet I could draw a crowd if I could do that. But it wouldn't be about Jesus. But Paul says, okay, so my presentation to you was not about human wisdom. I wasn't using human strategies. I was telling you the truth about Jesus. I tell you what it means in your life and how to, to get a hold of that and live by it. And he said that somehow that is where we run into the power of God. The power of God. Let me look at the verse again. Yes, demonstration of the spirit and of power. When the word of God is preached, you know, on the face of it, as we look at it, and if people who aren't here today, and they might think about it, and you might find yourself here today as well, and I can understand, you think you go hear somebody give a speech, right? Or you go hear someone make a presentation, and it's interesting or it's not, and you can think of it that way. But I want to tell you, when someone stands up and preaches the word of God and, you know, seeking to be faithful to what God says, there's more happening than that. The Holy Spirit is at work. The Holy Spirit will take the word of God, which is alive and powerful, and will take it and drive it deep into our hearts. And he will change your life. Now, what, let, me, let me say this to you. I'll just put it up here on the screen. That a crucial part of the Christian life is this. The word of God presented by a man of God, empowered by the spirit of God among the people of God. This is part of how God carries out his plans in the world. This is part of how he shepherds his church. And so what's going on, hopefully in churches like ours, and I believe largely it is, is that you have a pastor who says, Lord, what should I preach? What do you want to say to your people? And you look to the word and you, you maybe talk to others and you're asking God and then you arrive at a situation. Sometimes it's a standalone sermon about a particular subject. Sometimes it is now like this summer where we're working our way through 1 Corinthians. But the idea is the, the pastor saying, God, what do you want to say to your people? Where do you want to say it from? And, and so he said that. Now that means that the idea is that God has something to say to you and to me, right? As his church. And so every week when, whether it's me, whether it's Pastor Dave, and we get up and preach to you, I want you to know that that is not just another presentation. It's not just another sermon. It's God wanting to speak to you through his word. And, and I know that this is true for multiple reasons. One, and Pastor Dave, is, 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 we've talked about this and experienced it. There are many, many times where I've talked to you. Somebody comes to me after service and says, oh, I've got to talk to you. And they say, your sermon today, and you said this, and it's just, oh, it just hit me so much. You know, God, da da da, da. And I, I smile and say, well, I'm really good. That's great. And I think to myself, I don't remember saying that. Who said it? God did. Do you understand what I mean? God spoke to that person about something, and he used the sermon to do it. And sometimes it's related to what we say. It isn't like that always. Uh, but God works. And so if we, I would encourage you to view that. You have, you know, you, hopefully you're reading your Bible and doing some study in it. And you're, 
you're chewing on it, meditating on it, and figuring out how to live it. Include in that, and you're here today, you're doing it, but include in that this view of I'm also going to meet with my church because God has something to say to me there today. And he will. And, and this, this idea of the preaching of the word is powerful. I, I have amazed over the years at how many times when I have just simply explained the gospel. It might be a five-minute explanation, sort of like I did today. I've just simply explained the gospel and then said, hey, you know, I felt the leading of the Spirit. Let's ask right now, does somebody want to pray and receive Jesus? And we do that. And people get saved. I speak at funerals and people come that have no interest in church. They're there because they knew the person. And we share the gospel. And, and I'll ask, you know, how many of you prayed to receive Christ? And hands all over go. And they don't have to raise their hands if they don't want to, right? I mean, the gospel has gone out. Jesus Christ, what he's done for us. And, and it changes hearts. And people respond. And so there is power in the preaching of the word. It's a demonstration of the spirit and of God's power that we change our hearts. I got to tell you, in my life, many, many decisions that I've made in my life have either been uh, brought to mind for the first time or nailed down hard as I listened to the word of God being preached. And it wasn't always what the guy was saying. Very often it was. So, all right. So let's look here. Let's continue. All right, he says, so not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but a demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith, the reason I do this, he says that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Now, when I first read that this, you know, a couple of weeks ago and thinking about this again and saying, huh, I'm trying to think about that because I was thinking, I would probably not ever think to tell you, put your faith in the power of God. I might tell you, put your faith in God. Put your faith in the word of God. But put your faith in the power of God. And I, I had a, maybe a little bit of a, not discomfort, but just a hesitation about that. So I'm asking God as I'm working this, Lord, what's the deal? Um, and it hit me. Uh, Romans 1, 16. The Apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is what? Read it with me. The power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. When he says, I want you, your faith to be in the power of God, he's talking about the power of God as it manifests itself in the gospel. What, what he has done in our lives what he still will do. By the way, the gospel is bigger than just confessing your sins and getting forgiveness and going to heaven. The gospel is about Jesus Christ and the fact that we talked about two weeks ago. He's actually moved in, hasn't he? He's begun a change in you that he is going to carry out all the way to the end. The gospel is about all of that. So think about this. The gospel is powerful. And it changes lives. What does the gospel do in people's lives? Well, the first thing it does, it brings conviction of sin. That awareness that I have sinned against the holy God. When I understand who he is and what he's like and what I've done and not done, boy, this conviction, this awareness of sin, my own sin. And then it shares God's love for sinners. 
Because, man, who, which of us today deserve to be saved? Not a one of us. But he did this. While we were still sinners, he came. All right? So it shares God's love. So we find ourselves, wow, I'm in trouble with my sin. And then we understand, wait, God loves me. And then it motivates people to believe and to be saved. That's already talked about that, right? You just share the gospel and like, I need that. People believe and they get saved. And then I want you to know, though, that the gospel, as I said a moment ago, is about a lot more. Because lots of times this is where we stop with the gospel. Right? We believe and be saved. That's the gospel. Well, that's where the gospel starts. But the good news, the gospel, is that not only are our sins forgiven, but we are born again. We become new creations on the inside because the one who is eternal life has moved in and changed us profoundly. And he will work in our lives and move us along and change us, continue us. So another thing that the gospel does, it provides inner life that enables profound and enduring changes. Um, Anybody here's life changed because you came to know Jesus? Yeah. See, that's a demonstration of the power of God at work in your life. It's a demonstration of the truth of the gospel at work in your life. And, and you see, when the gospel comes in, people get changed. They get changed from immoral people and they become moral people. By the way, nobody gets changed to perfect. That's, God's going to finish that later. People who are angry people can become calm people. People who are unstable can become stable. People, whatever the list is, right? And, and Paul alludes to this because in, later in this book when he talks about, here's what some of you were. In 1 Corinthians 6, 11, he says, and such were, were some of you. He's changed you though. But you were washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. Such were some of you. Alcoholics become people who are no longer alcoholics. They become sober. You understand what I'm saying, right? And, and these are things that are demonstrations of the power of God, the demonstrations of the gospel in our lives. And you might say, well, gee, I have never any of those really terrible things. <laughs> we go through the list and we look, oh, I'm none of those things. And so, gee, how do I see the power of God in my life? Well, let me say to you, that if you sincerely follow Christ, you will become a miraculous example of the power of God in the gospel. Because the power of God, if, if you were not content, but because you're following the Lord, you're now content, that is a demonstration of the power of the gospel. If you are, were anxious, terribly anxious, and now you're not as anxious, you're making progress, that is a demonstration of the power of the gospel. If you didn't used to really care too much about other people, you know, you saw, but, but now you love them, that's a demonstration of the power of the gospel. Jesus changes us, doesn't he? He changes us. And if we cooperate with him, it happens a lot faster and often easier. But he changes us. And so 
it's already kind of said it, but the idea is it's not just about getting your sins forgiven, getting eternal life, and it's now about living out the gospel, living consistent with those truths. And Paul says this in Colossians chapter 2, and he says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Okay, you received him. You got saved. You received Christ as Savior. Now walk in him. What does the word walk mean? Usually when you see the New Testament, it's about how you live your life. So now live your life the same way. Well, how did you get saved? Well, you believed what God said, right? You heard what God said and you believed it and chose to trust it, act on it. Well, how do you live the gospel in your life then? Well, you learn what God says, you believe it, trust it, act like it, live on it. Okay, so the gospel carries from salvation all the way through the rest of our lives. The gospel is the power of God that enables you to be saved and to live like you're saved. It all goes together. All right, so we're seeing here, though, Paul, when he says what I want your faith to be in, and I believe he's talking about the power of God in the gospel, but what Paul doesn't do is say, here's what I want your faith in, and then give us a list of things to know. Although there are things to know. He says, I want your faith to be in the power of God. And so the gospel is not just information. It's a demonstration of God's power in your life. It is. So think about it that way. The gospel goes all the way through your life. Now, What's really important about this, or one of the things that's really important about this, is that as Christians, God has given us the responsibility to what? To tell others about the Lord, to be witnesses for him. Uh, we need to be credible witnesses, right? We need to be believable witnesses. And so for us to be believable witnesses, people need to be able to see the truth of what we're sharing in us. They need to see that it's, it's real in our lives. And so this is the idea, again, the power of God, not just information, but a demonstration. But you can see how I live. You can see, you know, can I say that this does not include being perfect? Any perfect people here? It's not a trick question, Stephen. No, we're not perfect yet. Deep down inside, we are, right? Where he has changed us forever. But we're, the rest of us, we're still a work in progress. But the idea is that the gospel, we can even demonstrate that when we mess up, when we get upset and we say something to somebody we shouldn't say, what does the power of the gospel do in our lives? With the Holy Spirit very clearly does what? You know, you shouldn't have said that. That wasn't right. And so what do we do? Well, hopefully, what do we do? We say, you know what? Uh, I, when I said that to you a minute ago, that, that, was, I, that was wrong. I never should have said it. Please forgive me. See, we're demonstrating the reality of the gospel in our lives, right? Uh, so not just information, it's demonstration. And it's important. If we expect people to believe what we have to share, they ought to be able to see that it's really true in our lives. They can see it's true because of how we are. And so, Father's Day. Dad, your family needs to see the powerful, life-changing gospel at work in your life. You want your children to grow up to be godly individuals. Uh, you know, people who are benefit to society. 
who know the Lord and live like Christians. You want that to happen. And so maybe you get your kids to church or you, you know, you, whatever you do. But the idea is this, that if they don't see it real in your life, they're much less likely to believe it. Because what you say, or what you do, often speaks much louder than what you say. So it's not just information, dads, but demonstration, okay? It is both. In fact, it's found a really kind of an insightful quote from Charles Kettering. He says this, every father should remember that one day his son will follow his example, not his advice. Okay, that's the natural tendency. Now let me say this to you today. If you had a father who did not do a good job with you, you are not doomed, <laughs> okay? You can see that and make a different choice. But this is the natural tendency that our children are more likely to follow our example than we will, they will our advice. So how do you dads live out this uh, demonstration of God's power in your life? Where are some areas you can do that? Well, first one is your character in your character, right? What kind of character do you have? Are you an honest person? Do you tell the truth? Um, are you the same in public as you are in private? Over the years, I've heard really sad stories, and, and Dave can attest to this with me. When we talk to young adults who are struggling with their faith, or maybe that, and, and, and come to discover that their father often, one way at home, different at church. What does that say? It's not really important in life. You only do that in church. The rest of life isn't. So the idea is your character should be the same. You should be the same person here as you are when you're out in the world. Okay? Uh, your marriage and your family, right? Do you really love your wife? Do you really love your kids enough to invest, to sacrifice, to, to share the truths of God with them? Uh, do what it takes, your job, your money, and your possessions. You know, do you love your money more than you love God? Do you love your money more than you love your family, your kids? Uh, you know, they're going to see, you know, do you give? Do you give generously? Are you generous? All those kinds of things your kids are going to watch. And you need to demonstrate the power of the gospel in your life in these things. Your ministry in church and in other people's lives. They ought to be able to see that, you know, this matters to you. Church matters to you. And you're involved somehow, some way, being supportive of that and, and helping that, encouraging in it. And then you have room in your life when others have needs and you can reach out and be a help. And then finally, your willingness to follow the Lord wherever he leads and encouraging your children to do the same. Your kids need to see that, understand that, you know what, I, I know that if, if, if the Lord led my dad to say, hey, I need to quit my job and I need to learn how to be a missionary because I'm supposed to be a missionary over in that place, wherever, I know my dad do it. I know he'd do it because he always does what he believes God wants him to do. See how that's a demonstration of the power of the gospel in your life? They see that. But then to encourage your children to do the same. One of the things that over the years I've heard here and there and hear from other churches and people, and that's that parents who discourage their children from doing things like going into missions. Discourage them from going into ministry. 
Discourage them from going on a missions trip. And what you tell your kids is that stuff really isn't important. It is important. And you need to encourage your children to follow your example, which is being willing to do whatever God wants you to do. They need to see that in you. And really, this is what uh, it means when Paul says in Ephesians 6 that and you fathers bring them up in the nurture, the training and admonition of the Lord. This is what you're doing day in and day out. You're being faithful to show them, to teach them. Because dads, what kind of legacy do you want with your kids? You know, I thought about this. I wish I thought about this a little more focused 40 years ago. But I would like my kids to be able to say this, and you would like your kids to be able to say this, that if there's anything, if there's anything I know and I'm sure of about my dad, it's that he loved Jesus with all his heart and that he continually lived his life trusting in the power of God. I know there's a God, and I know the gospel is true because I saw it in my father's life, and he helped me experience it too. Wouldn't that be an awesome legacy for your kids to be able to say about you? All right, now, just a little bit more to share with you here. This is, by the way, that's the best way you can love your kids is to, to live this way for them. Generational tendencies. In the Bible, we see in, in the Old Testament this sequence. You'd have a generation who really trusted God and experienced his working in his life, their, their lives, and the big stories that we see, right? The awesomeness of God. And it says, then the generation would come after who didn't experience those in their lives, but they heard about them. And then the next generation didn't experience them and never really heard it. And they walk away from God. Do you want your kids to walk away from God? Do you want your grandkids to walk away from God? Of course not. So what do we need to do? Just, not just for dads, but for all of us. But dads, you have a, a real special opportunity while your kids are at home. And that's that for you need to take your children on the journey with you from time to time in trusting God. We're going to do this, and we are trusting God, and we are praying. And you put, you're, you're, you're out there, and if God doesn't come through, you're in trouble and, but you, God does come through. And what are your children? They move up into that generation that has personally experienced it. I have, I have a couple of my kids I know who with uh, missions, have, they believe that God will provide because of things that they experienced as they were growing up. And so that's one thing. Uh, another thing, you may be here to saying, uh, I wish my father had been like this, but he isn't. That's what I said earlier. Don't worry, you're not stuck. God will be that father to you. He will. Okay? So open up your heart and mind to him. Uh, you may be saying here today, I failed as a father to do this. I didn't do a great job of this. Well, guess what? You're still a father. Right? You have grown kids. Yeah, and how that works changes and gets a little complicated here and there. But I tell you what, you begin living your life and by trusting in the gospel and the power of God in your life, 
it will open doors for you at some point to be able to talk to your kids, your adult children about these things. Story's not over. Lean into God. Um, how about you grandfathers? Grandfathers, grandmothers. I'll end with this. Psalmist writes, he says, Oh God, you have taught me from my youth, and to this day I declare your wondrous works. Now also, when I am old and gray-headed, oh God, do not forsake me until I declare your strength to this generation, your power to everyone who is to come. And so if you will live out the gospel today, trusting in God, living by his word, there will be a demonstration of the power of God in your life that you can now share with this generation and even with the ones that aren't yet born because of the changes you can make in the lives of those who are here now. So when is it time to be done with this? When you take in your last breath. Okay? God is faithful. He will work in our lives and use us. So let's trust in the power of God, the gospel of our salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your challenges from the word. I pray, Lord, we take it to heart. I, I ask, Lord, specifically that each of us here today, I know you've already spoken to people. I pray you continue to, Lord, to help us to take a look at our lives and see where do we need to lean into trusting in you and in trusting in the gospel and what it means in our lives instead of doing our own thing and following our own wisdom? Oh, God, help us to see the foolishness of that. And Lord, plant a vision in our hearts and minds that whether we're fathers and mothers or, or uh, believers who uh, don't have children, Lord, but that we would live in such a way that the people that we share with, whether they're Christians or non-Christians, Lord, can look at our lives and see the truth of what we're saying. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, have a happy Father's Day, and thank you, everyone, for joining us online. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to turn this back over to Dave, and we are going to uh, take care of some Father's Day fun. <laughs>